Hello, everybody. Welcome to Movie Go Round, a film discussion podcast that rotates between different themes every week on a five-week schedule. This week's theme is Future Classics. Hello, everybody. My name is Brett Stewart. Joining me, as always, my superb co-host, Nicole Davis. How are you doing this fine evening? I'm doing quite well. As of this recording, the heat has finally settled in where I live, and everybody who had been bitching about the cold all winter is suddenly bitching about the heat, and I just want to smack them all. (laughs) Though I saw they were very orderly in your neck of the woods for 4th of July, which recently happened when we were recording this. Yes. You went to like yeah, a, a vent and people had neatly laid their things out. It was not like that here in Chicago. No, no. Big cities, it's every man for himself. But here in uh, the in the uh, the restful haven of Salem, people uh, stake out a spot in front of the, the band area where the fireworks are going to be at like 9 a.m. and leave their blanket <laughs> and their chairs. And then they come back at like 4 o'clock. <laughs> Everything is still there. Yeah, right. Um, See, <laughs> I think uh, I think Claire and I had realized we had reached peak um, grumpiness when we recently got a new dog, and we realized that uh, any fireworks past about nine thirty were a keeping the dog upset and b keeping us awake. Uh, so that really was just obnoxious. And they're still going on the night. They just do it on for another night. And David Luzader, it sounds like fireworks are going around you too right now. Leftover fireworks. Yeah, you know how it is. People buy stuff for the 4th, and then they either get too drunk to, to <laughs> blow it up on the night of, or they you know put it somewhere, forget, and go buy more, and then discover it a day later. And so it's real annoying, because my dog doesn't get scared of it, but she barks at it. Uh, and uh, so she's you know thinking that, hey, somebody's trying to blow up the house, I guess. <laughs> and I have to deal with that. It happens in this movie. Uh, <laughs> and this True. movie was a future classic. And before I introduce it, I do want to mention next week's film so you can follow along. It's Around the World next week. That is where one of the co-hosts gets to pick an international film for the other two to watch. And David, it's your pick this time around. What are we watching? I'm excited. Yes, Brett, while I would love to keep introducing you uh, to more and more martial arts films in anticipation of this upcoming film, since I only get to do this once every third rotation, it is time now to watch The Raid. In mind. Is this just uh, called The Raid or The Raid Redemption? So, the, it, yes, to both. Officially, <laughs> <laughs> it's The Raid Redemption. It's yes. the first of the two Raid movies. Interesting. And so, this is made by a white guy. That's interesting. It's a white director, yeah. Very, but very, in, but it's in, in 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 Indonesian. Yes. Yes, takes place in Indonesia. That's going to be a tough one. Okay, uh, fantastic. I can't wait to watch this. Uh, I'm just going to have to not say in Indonesia. So, very good. The Raid next week, 2011, it looks like. The Raid Redemption will be easier for people to find if they need to find it. Right on. Very good. And this week was Future Classics. That is where uh, one of the co-hosts has an opportunity to bring a film before the board and decide whether or not it will be a classic moving forward in the echelon of film history. The film has to have come out in the last 10 years, meaning right now, 2008 and onward. This was my pick this week, and I picked 2012's Skyfall. 
The 23rd film in the Bond franchise marks 50 years of James Bond movies and Daniel Craig's third outing as the character. In Skyfall, Bond's loyalty to M is tested as her past comes back to haunt her. As MI6 comes under attack, 007 must track down and destroy the threat, no matter how personal the cost. Uh, So I suppose probably the best way to jump into this, what we typically do is have uh, whoever picked it explain why. So I'll give a very, very brief synopsis of why I picked it, because I think we're going to get into a lot of it here. But essentially, the the reason I picked this film is I have been a, a lifelong fan of James Bond films ever since I was a kid. They hold a very special place in my heart, uh, though I grew up in a much you know more recent generation. Pierce Brosnan was my young Bond. Uh, <laughs> but this film was special for me uh, because while I don't necessarily have much reverence for Daniel Craig as the character, I love Daniel Craig. I uh, There are other Bonds I like a lot better. I think that this is one of the most exquisite storytelling explorations of the character James Bond. As someone who read these books and as someone who loves more than just the secret agent shoots people and actually the exploration of who he is as a person and why he became this jaded, cynical, hard, you know, cold-blooded man, uh, but at the same time still has a very soft spot, I think is a fascinating one. And I think this movie did it remarkably well. The cinematography was gorgeous, perhaps the greatest cinematography in a Bond film ever. Uh, It is really superbly well acted uh not only with craig reaching the peak of bondness but also judy dench having the opportunity to say farewell to her m in a beautiful way and also the opportunity to bring ray fines in as what i'm sure will be you know a long-lasting m for years to come and then finally i will mention that the the return to classic elements of James Bond, whether that be Money Penny or the Aston Martin or um, any number of elements of this movie, was entirely refreshing for me personally, coming from many years of almost a descent into Jason Bourndom. <laughs> uh, and that's what James Bond had become to me, especially in Quantum of Solace. And it was lovely to see a return to a lot of the really classic elements that made it the the most enduring spy franchise of all time. So uh, this film stars. Actually, first of all, I'd like to go around the table. Nicole, you of course, we've all seen this before several times. Yes. Yes. Okay. So n- let's get some. First of all, do people like Craig as Bond? I feel like that's a good starter. Like you either love or hate certain Bonds. I feel like. Yeah, I like Daniel Craig as <laughs> okay. Bond. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, I mean, there's is a difficult character because you know what? Before we got this Bond, we've had a lot of weird iterations where you have the super campy uh, Sean Connery. No, 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 super campy Roger Moore. Uh, Roger Moore, Sean Connery, slightly less campy. <laughs> uh, by the by, his end it was incredibly campy. Roger Moore was like somebody's dad. Like that, I have weird. When I watch Roger Moore movies, I'm like, that looks like my friend's dad. Not because he does, just because he always seems so much older, especially than the women he was seducing uh, in these movies. It got creepy near it the got end. Real creepy. <laughs> he just always felt like your friend's dad as Bond. Uh, you had the super angry Timothy Dalton that a lot of people don't like. You know, the yeah. super suave. Pierce Brosnan, and then you have this with like Daniel Craig, who's kind of like rough around the edges, but still has that like kind of boyish grin 
that just endears you to him so much. And those baby blues. Uh. Those baby blues. Halfway through this movie, Claire turns to me and she's like, are those real? <laughs> are those, is that really? Is he wearing contacts? Yeah, they're very, very blue. They are real. Uh, and I think David brings up a great point we'll delve into later, which is the campiness of Bond, which I think in doses is really wonderful. But perhaps like late 90s, early 2000s, we saw that almost to the extreme with things like Die Another Day and The World Is Not Enough. Uh, those really, really campy. Car. Yeah, that kind of was that kind of was the way that Bond was, uh, mm-hmm. you know, until these ones like you you had, you know, you kind of start off with a little more serious with the new Bond, and then by the time it got to we're relying so much on the weird gadgets and you believing that Madonna is a like nuclear physicist, like that's when <laughs> Wait, the <reboot>. what? <laughs> I think Wasn't you're that- mixing a couple together. <laughs> Does it really doesn't matter though? No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> Not really, but uh, yeah, I I grew up with uh, Roger Moore as my first Bond. Um, so the the Bond movies were always uh, good fun in my day, and then when Timothy Dalton took over, all of a sudden it was like super serious, mm-hmm. you know, kind of stone faced. Well, not stone faced, but you know, very serious, uber professional bond. Yeah, he was a gun for hire. Yeah. yeah. Licensed so, to kill, you may say. Right. Uh, well, I mean, but he's like all business, almost like a mercenary. You know, he's in, do the job, get out. And that's that. And then Pierce Brosnan came back and he added a little more flair. And then they put in... Then they started seeing, you know, how big can we make this? How big can we make the opening stunts? How nutty can we make the plot line? How badly can we misuse good supporting actors? <laughs> um, no kidding. No kidding. What, oh, what, four what, flavor, coming. <laughs> what flavor of the week can we make the, as a Bond girl in this one? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so then we, you know, they let it they let it rest for a little bit between bonds and brought on Daniel Craig. And there was all this hoorah cause he was blonde, blonde. That was such, it was such a oh, big yeah. deal. So stupid. Ridiculous. You know, in the meantime, they're floating the idea of, well, how about a woman or how about a black well, guy back, yeah. or Idris Elba is always floated. <laughs> and you know, if people go this nuts because he's blonde, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> just, well, uh, you can't touch it. It's sacred. You know, it has to be just like the Ian Fleming books and whatnot. Well, and if we're talking about that, if you look at the original sketch based on Ian Fleming's descriptions and all that, that's Sean Connery. Like we already had the yeah. the correct bond in terms of aesthetics. You know, right. in we're, fact, Ian we're, Fleming we're past loved, that. Yeah, Ian Fleming loved him as Bond. You know, he lived to see Doctor No come out and adored it. Uh, so you're—I mean—you're absolutely right in that regard. And um, yeah, there one thing are a lot I do of callbacks wanna... to Doctor No in this movie. Yeah, they're ton. And uh, so. one thing I do want to mention as well is as we bring in Daniel Craig in 2006 with Casino Royale, which I might mm-hmm. have chosen as well if it had been within within the uh, realm of us being able to pick it. Uh, <laughs> we're literally introduced to a Bond where the opening scene is him beating a man to death in a bathroom and drowning him in a sink. And that's where we got the the, the gun barrel shot. 
from is when he kills the guy. Uh, so right. that was it's a return of the brute bond. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, I was 11 years old when that came out. That movie was so cool. It is still so cool. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it almost went too far for me in that regard when I say um, once it got in the Quantum of Solace, which I refer to as the DLC to Casino Royale, um, <laughs> it, it started getting to me almost like they were breaking away from some of the things that Bond was. And that was a common criticism, which Skyfall sought to remedy. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the film in particular and less about Bond as a whole. Uh, it's a long movie. Um, it's, what, two hours, yeah. 25 minutes? and change somewhere around there it's 143 minutes i have the stats here it is the third longest bond film uh the longer ones being specter and casino royale and i think also interestingly the shortest bond film of all time is quantum of solace at 107 minutes it's because it's dlc it is it is the it is the fallout new vegas of (laughs) of bond movies <laughs> I can't stand it uh i digress yeah it is a really long movie though and um yes i for me it, it plods along pretty pretty tactfully it stays mm-hmm. interesting throughout there's always something happening there are downtimes that don't linger uh but i'd be curious to hear mm-hmm. your guys thoughts yeah i mean this is you know they i i just finished watching this for the second time I mean, not the second time total, but I mean, the second time this week uh, with the director's commentary on. So there are there is so much put into this movie uh, because it was the 50th anniversary year of James Bond being a franchise of 50 years after Dr. No. And, um, you know, people don't usually commemorate the 23rd uh, in a franchise, but just the timing worked out. And so there are a lot of little callbacks sprinkled in there's, you know, you're going back to the beginning, the movie actually starts. Well, not after, after the, after the opening scene, when the titles start, it begins with, this is the end. And then at the end of the movie, it's a new beginning. Hmm. You have new M new Q you have money penny. So you're, you're ready to go around again. um, By the end of it. So, but I mean, this has so much work to do in carrying both that and a story of its own. And this was going to be Judy Dench's last movie. And Daniel Craig was starting to be on the fence about wanting to continue as James mm-hmm. Bond. And so this is about M and it's about MI6 in general. And it's about, you know, the morality of what they do. It's about, the ethics of, you know, having people deployed in the field and having to make the tough decisions. And, um, you know, it's just, it's a lot of moving parts. Yeah. This, <laughs> but this, they do a good job. And I mean, I think especially when they've got, you know, Javier Bardem playing sort of bonds, the other side of, of his coin, this is, what bond would have been if he'd gone bad um, or what he, you know, what he could have been driven mad by what he'd been through or the decision that M made to let uh, Eve take the shot on the bridge could have left with, you know, ended with him ending up like Silva. So I think it's done really well and there's such good acting, such good directing I mean, the photography, 
Roger Deakins won an Oscar for this, didn't he? He did. I know he was at least nominated. Okay, yeah, he did win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, and it's absolutely genius photography. Uh, and you would not believe how much of this was shot on sets rather than actual locations. It's kind of amazing. Really? Um, totally believe it. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot. The casino's a set. MI6 is a set. Uh, the underground MI6 is all a set. Wow. So. Um, I I heard an interview with Daniel Craig talking about just a lot of stuff, but they talked about James Bond, obviously, and he talked about Sam Mendes and this movie, and he described it as the wettest film that was ever released in the sense that Sam Mendes was working on it up until a couple days of its release. You know, there comes a certain point, you know, by the time of the premiere, he had to let it go. Yeah. But before then, he was still making changes and making edits. Um, so I wonder, you know, even if he had a couple more months to, to pare it down, if maybe, you know, maybe this movie could have been five to 10 minutes shorter, but I don't ever feel like it's five to 10 minutes too long. You know, it, it yeah. is a long movie, but I, I agree with Nicole that it does plot along. It is doing a whole lot with the characters and in moving people into new positions and out of old positions and, you know, showing us some spectacular set pieces and action sequences. I mean, that opening sequence alone with the whole thing as a, the two guys fighting on a train is yeah. just <laughs> so cool. exciting and, mm-hmm. and fun. And, you know, there's that classic, that classic defining bond moment when he jumps down from the, the crane into the train car and, and, and fixes he his, his cuffs. Yeah, yeah, and that is just, oh, that is just so beautiful. That well, tiny gesture, out, yeah. I loved it. Yeah, and it, there's just so much going on in this movie. I think that it's one of those. Yeah, maybe some of the Craig films do get a little lost in their time. I think there are, as much as I love Casino Royale, there are parts of Casino Royale that drag so slow <laughs> they just really like oh take a while yeah, uh, venice is a little bit of a slog in that yeah yes, it is. that the last the last half an hour of that movie might be a little bit too much they should have uh, just rolled it into the dlc <laughs> like that's what quantum of solace leads up to anyway yeah where the, where this movie i don't i don't feel like there's any sequence where things slow down so painfully that right. It's like, oh, okay, come on, let's go. And the slow parts, you know, bec- because it's Sam Mendes and because I think this one's, this may be the best written of all the Bond movies, at least for me. Um, the slow parts are filled with this really fascinating character work that's being done. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I never feel bored during the slower segments of the movie because there's there's all kinds of internal stuff going on. It's very twisty. Yeah. Even love about it. Even not to really get so much off this film. um, I think a movie that's, that's not as good, um, which is, is specter. I feel kind of that same thing though. I don't, my, my knock against specter is not necessarily how slow specter is. I think because like you said, Sam Mendes really knows how to fill those slower moments with this, the, with tension and and just with stuff still feeling like it's it's happening uh even when you know we're waiting for christoph waltz to lean in from the darkness and speak into a microphone 
Yeah, yeah and, and one thing I do want to also bring up is Nicole touched on the fact that a lot of the moving parts were bringing characters in and out of the story. And I think, for me, I'd be curious your opinions on this. I think this would have been the perfect finale for Craig if he had left, because the way I've always seen Craig is he's essentially the prequel Bond. And I don't mean that as a slant like all of Star Wars. I just mean like these are prequel films. Casino Royale is chronologically the first James Bond. Uh, the mm-hmm. introduction of so many things going on in this world and later the introduction of Money Penny and um, the male cue that we're familiar with from previous Bond films, uh, everything down to the red padded door. These are elements that you are thrust into immediately in 1960s James Bond. And it would have made a lot of sense for me, in my mind, if Craig had left this role, which would perfectly transition those that prequel aura of his tenure into everything that came before it, but in reality after it. Uh, that would have been cool to me. Um, but he's actually contracted for like like two more, I think. He's, he's, he's doing he's, a ton. He, I, I don't know if he's so much contract. I know he's doing one more. Okay, he's uh, doing 25. He is doing 25 with... Uh, right, he is, Nicole. He's confirmed, or is that unconfirmed? I, yeah, he's definitely doing the next one. But yeah, with, with Dan, the Danny Boyle film that's coming out. Um incredibly hard on the body to yeah, be gone. I think I mean a lot of his own stunt work and oh, he's yeah. starting to he's really starting to feel his age. He's not, you know, Dalen Craig's not that old, but he's, he's not that young. <laughs> you know, that intense of um physical workout that he's got to be doing to be bond and to and to look like bond because there's got to be the obligatory shirtless scene not that i'm Mm -hmm. complaining but you know it's that's a lot of work was it after specter was it after skyfall on the joints man was after skyfall or specter that he said he wanted to split his wrists after skyfall and then he came yeah. back and did Spectre. Yeah, he was really vehemently <laughs> anti-Bond for some time. And then well, he really uh, changed his tune when they had to promote Spectre. Yeah, well, yeah. I think you know it's it's insanely difficult when you you know, you have to do these really intense physical and emotional scenes. You know, he's got to keep up this really, really intense physical regimen for however long they're filming. And then he probably gets a small break before they have to go do the whole press tour. And it's just, it's movies are an ongoing process. And when something is as physically and mentally demanding as a James Bond film, you got to get to a point where you never want to see a James Bond movie ever again. So either they gave him the right amount of money or he had enough time off. I imagine it's somewhere a mix of the two. <laughs> Probably some of both. Yes. Yeah. Do you think also it's an element of once you're Bond, there's I think we talked we talked about this very briefly, I believe, maybe in a pre-show or an after show. Where where do you go? <laughs> I mean, Brosnan had Mamma Mia and some thrillers. Um Timothy Dalton did his thing in Hot Fuzz. On Doctor Who. Uh, and on <laughs> Doctor Who, yes. Um, yeah. But I, I, I struggle, aside from Connery, I struggle to think of a Bond that really had a uh, a role that was as defining post-Bond as Bond. Yeah, I would say so. It, it yeah. is a typecasting of sorts, I feel. Maybe not even necessarily a typecasting, but it's almost... Maybe maybe casting directors maybe don't even want to hire you because they everyone looks at you as Bond. So, I don't know. I mean, have you guys have you guys seen Logan Lucky? Yes. 
Yeah. Like he's so good in that. He is I think Daniel Craig's going to be fine, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah he, I do. <laughs> not to say not to say that he ha- and I I do agree there's not a great precedent for it. But Daniel Craig also did not have a completely unknown uh career I mean maybe over here, but if you look at it he was working for a number of years before he was James Bond. I think Layer Cake if you want to get a feeling for that pre casino Royale. Why did they pick this guy? Go watch layer cake. Um, I think he's going to be okay. You know, he's done enough stuff in the meantime, you know, girl with the dragon tattoo, as much as that was maybe not as well received, but like I said, Logan lucky, he was in the force awakens for crying out loud. Like he's going to be fine. <laughs> yeah. He's a little short for a stormtrooper, I believe. Tiny. Invisible uh, yeah. Yep. Yes. Uh, yeah, uh, I just looked it up. He is Daniel Craig is fifty this year, by the way. I I would have yeah, I was, I was guess what left because in Die Another Day, you're starting to feel Brosnan's age. Well, you know when Roger Moore left, he was seventy six. So <laughs> yeah, Roger Moore like, is the Tom Baker of James Bond, right? He was you, just you there. could say any age over uh, fifty, and it would sound correct for Roger Moore. Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, let's also talk about uh, Javier Bardem, who is in this movie as the bad guy. And uh, yeah. there's a couple different things in our docket about him. There's his hair, his his eyebrows. <laughs> and I also mentioned, can he ever really not be a bad guy? Because even when he's not really a bad guy, he still kind of feels like a bad guy. I point to Mother. Uh, he, yeah. he always, he is so, I can't look at him and not think of him carrying around a comically large shotgun or shotgun <laughs> silencer. I'll, uh, you know, um, what movie was that? I'm blanking right now. No Country for Old Men. No Country for Old Men, yeah. Uh, he, like, uh, he for is, the record, Pierce Brosnan was 49 when he finished okay. his ball. Uh, all right. Well, I, but I look at Javier Bardem and I just think of all these phenomenal bad guys that he was. And he made such sense for a perfect Bond villain. And he's a really multi-layered Bond, Bond villain in this film. Because, oh, in my yeah. opinion, you always have Bond villains... Uh, there's always the really generic ones, right? There, I want to, I want to dominate the world. I want to turn my giant space laser to melt Antarctica or whatever. And you have his character that is so much more nuanced. I mean, there is a, there's like this weird sexual element to him at certain points. There is uh, a. Ooh, I have a lot to say about that. Actually. I know. <laughs> yeah. There is, uh, there is this story of revenge, but also of betrayal and of the fact that when you know M is is essentially short for mother in in many ways in the movies and his mother essentially betrays him he feels like right and that plays into what i think is a fascinating bond villain superbly portrayed by him well and i think he's also got that that great thing that i think all great bond villains need which is some very obvious physical defect (laughs) when he takes out half of his upper jaw Oh, uh, my goodness, yeah. Yeah, that is horrifying. You weren't ready but for he, that the first time, were you? I remember when I first saw no, this movie, oh, and no. you're not ready for that. <laughs> Nobody's ready for that. <laughs> no, it just it happens. But I, I, I agree that he is a really great villain. He is, does have a lot of elements to him. Um, and just kind of watching the... The kind, the way he kind of chews on scenery with the tea, the teeth that he has left, uh, is really fun. To the, I, I do <laughs> want to mention because a lot of people were like, "Oh, did they make Bond gay in the movie?" Blah blah. 
night, which I thought was one of the stupidest things ever. But what I got from that scene was like, hey, these are people who are working undercover to try and get information. They've established James Bond uses sexuality. I don't want to say as a tool, more like a blunt instrument in the terms <laughs> terms of James Bond. Uh, Look just, at how sexy I am. Damn it. <laughs> yeah, look into my eyes. Uh you know, I, it would not be out of line, I think, for a Bond, for a character like James Bond to have had to put the moves on a man where, you know, you have to use every tool at your disposal. That's what I got out of that scene. I just uh, wanted you to went mention. to boarding school. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> of course, there's some fooling around involved. We were but- young. It was the summer. It yeah, was. I want. I do want to circle around back to that scene because I think that scene is amazing. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I I agree that Javier Bardem is doing fantastic work here because this is a villain whose motive is one hundred percent personal. Um, mm-hmm. Although it's not directly at Bond, you know, Bond he's kind of he gets exasperated with periodically because Bond is oh, annoyed with him the entire movie. Yeah, he's he's gone through the same things that he has. And yet he's still loyal to MI6 and England and M and it's like, oh my God, you know, you haven't learned yet. That seems to be his right. attitude. You were, you were shot because of her. Right. Exactly. You, you, you come to my side. But my I mean, Javier Bardem's doing, he's doing fantastic work. And apparently I, I, you know, I found out on the commentary that, uh, Javier Bardem's hair was his idea. You know, he <laughs> asked him, and this, like, what can I do with this? Can I, you know, can I play with this? Can I play with the look? I'd like to try a couple things. He's hair. like, yeah, do what you want. I might, you know, send you back to change whatever, change back whatever it is that you change, but, <laughs> you know, whatever. And he showed up for, you know, his camera test day, and nobody recognized him. And oh Sam Mendes was like, Oh, okay. You know, and he, he let it go. And he's blonde, I think, in part because so is Daniel Craig. He wants to look like he's he's the other side of the coin. He's, you know, what, what Bond might have been uh, if only even just a couple of small circumstances were different. He's what Bond might have been. Yeah, I mean, this movie really was the battle of the jaw lines. Let's just, <laughs> but yeah, there yeah. are there are several moments in this movie again where he seems entirely exasperated with Bond. My favorite is when uh, toward the end of the film, when Javier Bardem's character realizes that M had escaped through the old uh, tunnel to the to the chapel uh, at Skyfall, and. Bond is with one of his henchmen on ice and Bond decides the best way to get out of this is to grab the henchman's arm, shoot a circle around us. We both fall into the water. That way I can strangle and kill him underwater and swim all the way back up. And that's how I'm going to handle the situation. And he does this. And Javier Bardem is just looking at him with the most exhausted look on his face. (laughs) This is the route. And he doesn't even care enough to wait and see what's going to happen. Bond starts doing this. He sighs and just starts walking straight back up toward the chapel, which is also terrifying because you see how close the chapel is to that lake. And you just think there is this helpless old lady in there. I mean, granted, uh, you know, the game master is there, uh, but that's not going to end well for him either. (laughs) And it brings this 
impending level of terror throughout the end of this movie where they are so outgunned and Javier Bardem's character is so menacing and it really breaks down to he's trying to kill an old lady and there's something <laughs> really creepy about that for for me it's it's the moment shortly after that when they're in the chapel and he throws the knife into his back and he turns around and just his reaction <laughs> right. lets out that sound of just like, come on. Like, <laughs> I was so close yeah. to being just, done. That last, you know, last rat, that <sighs> nice little line that he gets in there, just as Javier Bardem falls <laughs> over. But I just, I just the look on his face and the noise that he makes, which is like, come on, man. After all of this, you're still, you're just going to knife me in the back. Yeah. Bardem is so good and i mean he he does often play villains because he's got this hulking physicality to him um but i mean he's he's played good guys in uh, beautiful and um play I, I would hesitate to recommend seeing him in the counselor because the counselor's a terrible movie um but he's a his hair's amazing though He's kind of <laughs> half and half in Vicky Cristina Barcelona, um, but he can he can do good guy. He just doesn't get cast much that way anymore because of what he he's he's shown such a flair for playing villains. And he is one of yeah. the redeeming aspects for me of last year's Dead Men Tell No Tales, which was awful. I found it highly enjoyable. Um, it, it's I found it highly enjoyable in the fact that it's bad because I love pirates movies, but his bad guy was oh, uh, second only to perhaps you know Davy Jones in the early films um, I can tell Nicole has no lost love for those movies perhaps No, it, it took me a minute to figure out what you were talking about it's one of the Pirates of the Caribbean films yes. right yeah, yeah. it is okay. um, what well, should have been <laughs> the last one I have not seen any of the first one well that's just live that way that's probably fine <laughs> But in any case, one thing I do want to talk about toward the end of this film is I mentioned the old man, you know, the old gameskeeper. And uh, I really want to talk about Kincaid because I love Kincaid's induction into this movie because he does a couple things. Um, for those unfamiliar, Kincaid is the gameskeeper who um, had presided over Skyfall ever since James Bond was a boy, uh, obviously knew the parents well, um, and obviously had a huge hand in taking care of James after his parents died. And this film doesn't explore um, how his parents died, but it's the first Bond film that even gives us their names. So there's some character development. Um, but in any case, Kincaid has the opportunity to humanize James Bond in a lot of ways by having known him as a child and having been able to talk about, you know, when his parents died and how devastated he was and having the opportunity to, uh, to old man dad talk down the James Bond about how to shoot a gun. Uh, there's lots of really wonderful scenes with him. And, and I it's thought, Albert Finney. Yeah, yes. Albert Finney's wonderful. But, but what I wanted to talk about was uh, for a time, they really did consider bringing in uh, Sean Connery for this role. And uh, <laughs> and that, that, that reaction is what I wanted to elicit. Yeah. Because uh, apparently what happened is they, they thought about it, and it was a very brief thought, because they very quickly realized this is probably not a great idea. Um, It'll take, it would take everybody out of the film immediately. It would take everybody yeah. out of the movie. And now this is something that, again, probably wouldn't 
have even happened because uh, George Lucas and Steven Spielberg wanted to do the same thing uh, in uh, in Crystal Skull, and Connery wouldn't do that. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think I, you guys have answered my question. It would have probably taken you out, right? Oh, hundred percent. It would have broken the dramatic tension that was building. You know, they it would have you know invited immediate comparison for people to think oh do i like daniel craig better or did i like sean connery better as bond and well and then you would have had everybody being like this just confirms the whole james yeah. bond theory it's just oh, what so is the whole boring. james bond theory that james bond is not a name it is a title that is passed down with 007 <sighs> and that when that yeah, it's it's fun for five minutes, but then people take it too seriously. No, no yeah. just let just let him be a timeless character. Oh, but I okay. mean, Albert Finney brings in a a much needed at this point in the movie uh, injection of warmth mm-hmm. into the yes. film. He's like he's like it, Father Christmas with a hunting rifle because because it, it gives it gives it it gives a real emotional attachment to Daniel Craig to the estate of Skyfall, right? Like, it's not right. just like, oh, here's the empty building I live with my family. It's like, here's the empty building I live with my family and the guy who raised me. Like, right. it, makes, it makes it more than just, yeah, where the final showdown takes place. Like, you don't you don't want him to get shot because he's really nice and it's not his fault he's getting caught up in this crap. Right. And there's and there's I resolution mean, there too because we finally see you know early in the film, Skyfall is haphazardly alluded to by the psychiatrist, and you know Daniel Craig says it's done and storms out of the room, and you can't help but feel that toward the end of this movie, whatever, whatever uh, emptiness and frustration that Bond feels as a result of that place and the memories associated with it, um, it is both like emotionally and physically destroyed um, in probably a positive way. Um, because <laughs> and he gets, he gets that to last go- little moment of, I always hated this place. Right. And he gets yeah. to go back. He gets to, you know, reunite with Kincaid. There is um, resolution in that alone. I feel like, cause Kincaid has obviously not seen him since he was a child uh, because MI6 does recruit orphans. Uh, there is resolution in the fact that he gets to, kill bad guys with his father's old rifle um there's resolution in all these different things and then finally the state is destroyed and i thought that was incredibly powerful yeah, yeah he, he shed his a sentimental attachment to the rifle though because the second he's got the opportunity he swaps it for one of the bad guys like machine guns <laughs> you know what he doesn't seem very sentimental about a lot of things in this movie it hurts my heart yeah. when i see that aston martin go uh, it hurts oh, my heart. It hurts. <laughs> well, you see the look on Bond's face afterward. He's like, damn it. You know, you can shoot up the house. You can right. <laughs> kill my girlfriend. You can, you know, destroy really my nice life. Car. But my car, that's where you've <laughs> gone too far. Now, I love uh, fun. <laughs> oh, sorry. Go ahead, David. Just just real fun bit of history with the, the movies and, uh, and Aston Martin's. They didn't want to do that. They didn't. Aston Martin did not want to be involved with the James Bond films. Um, and I can't remember if they like if they had to pay them for the first one or if they just like really? talked them into it. Uh, but their sales went up so much after the James Bond movies started coming out that like Aston Martin's just been like throwing cars at them ever since. <laughs> well, they're, they're infamously very shoddily made cars. England is not great at making cars. It is not a strong yeah. suit for them. So, uh, <laughs> but one thing I do love about this movie is that in 
many of its nods to the classic films. It also doesn't have an issue with poking fun at how antiquated some of them are. You know, the first thing M says when she gets in the 63 or 62 uh, Aston Martin is, you know, this is not a, this is a rough ride. Uh, And as soon as he meets Q and is disappointed that all he's getting is a radio and a gun, Q says, you know, we don't do the exploding pens anymore, a la Goldeneye in the 90s. And I love that they can poke fun at those things because they were they were fun while they existed and it was an homage to them while allowing Bond to move forward and not forget about them. Um, because I did love the exploding pen. The, the clicking of that pen in Goldeneye is one of the classic Goldeneye things. Um, but it, that era's gone. So to have a nod to it while we're moving forward was really powerful to me. Um, and I think that's what I, that really is the core of what I love about this movie is that it has those elements of nostalgia while not lingering in the nostalgia and acknowledging that this has to move forward. Right. And it does that bluntly at the end of the movie when it says 50 years, he'll be back. Uh, and I think that it sets it up nicely for there to be 50 more years. Um, but as we talk about other elements of this movie, let's talk about the opening song, the opening song ever since the very first film has all, uh, it's always commissioned. It's never, you know, a song that has been previously written. Um, and, you know, we've had some very forgettable ones. And then we've had, you know, Live and Let Die and Chris Cornell. And uh, and this one was Adele. She won a ton of awards for it. She won Emmys. Uh, not Emmys. She won Oscars and she won Grammys for it. And it's one she hell of a song. She almost didn't win the Oscar for it. Yeah, I, so when I first heard this song, I didn't think, it was a good Bond song. Uh, you know, they released it a couple weeks or a, a month or so before the movie came out. And I remember listening to it and I'm like, I don't, I don't see it. I don't get it. This doesn't feel right. Uh, based on like what we had seen in the previews and stuff. And then saw it in the movie and that with that opening credit sequence, it is amazing. Yeah. It is, it is just great. Um, it's an astounding opening credit sequence. It's one of the best they've ever done. I think. Oh, absolutely. And I just immediately was like, I was wrong. I was correct that the Sam Smith song was bad, but the Adele song is is just great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She almost didn't win because she used part of the old John Barry theme, just slowed uh, down as part of the underpinning of the song and the Academy, as they often do with music for the Oscars. It was like... Gee, I don't know. It's not a hundred percent really. Neither is any music. Calm your your horses. Uh, oh, did you hear, hear the thing about from the the guy behind the gorillas recently, where he was no. like, "Sam, like if you sample, you're not making real music." And it's like that's the point of the gorillas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is. Oh my gosh. And for me, with Adele in this song. I hear her sing this song, and I think of Shirley Bassey doing Goldfinger. I think of Goldfinger, the, right? I, I think <laughs> of the the um, the bombastic, like huge, you know, female voices that really exploded in some of these awesome openings. And yeah. Bond had, you know, Craig had some interesting forays through that. I mean, I I love you know my name by Chris Cornell. Uh, I thought that was a such great, a great opener. song. Um, yeah. And as much as I hate Quantum of Solace, I feel like the the experimentation that went into Another Way to Die with Jack White and Alicia Keys, I thought was really cool. Um, but this was like the return right to everything Bond, right? The 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 yeah. soaring female voice, which yeah, as we've talked about with this film, is a 
big part of it. Exactly, which is why I think it was healthy to go back to someone like Adele after, because I would actually argue that particularly Quantum of Solace, the Jack White and Alicia Keys number is very experimental. It's a weird song. Yeah, um, yeah. strange. But I mean, you know, Adele is is has the big traditional voice for it, and she is expert at melodrama when she sings, and this is this is a melodramatic song, uh, you know, turned mm. up to 11. <laughs> Though I will say, um, David did mention Sam Smith because Sam Smith did Writings on the Wall for Spectre, the film after this. Uh, if you haven't had the opportunity to ever listen to it, it's free online. Radiohead was originally commissioned to do the Spectre theme, and Tom York just couldn't finagle it the way he wanted it to, where he felt it would work for Bond. And Damn it's a Tom. song... It's a song called Spectre, and it's really good. It totally would have worked. Radiohead were selling themselves short by pulling out of it. It would have been better than Sam Smith. Um, I digress. I didn't Let's, hate the Sam Smith song. It's not bad, but Radiohead doing an original good. composition for you? It, it, it felt too much like, hey, do what Adele did. Yeah. And I, I just don't that, think absolutely. it worked. I don't Only think it worked as well. an octave higher. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And it just it just for me it was like no do your own thing yeah Don't just do th- this again yeah <laughs> but it's a beautiful title sequence you know they they go through it and it's got elements from throughout the film in it and it's done pretty much from like the point of view of it's the the whole concept is basically James Bond going through the underworld right and, right it's him dying right and then returning so. You have to imagine uh, filming those sequences is a very weird day, right? Like you bring Daniel Craig yes. into an empty green room and just have him aimlessly wander with stoic expressions. Okay, now you're shooting at you're shooting at shadows. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna yep. be circling around you. Yep. Uh, you know, have to go back to like the Casino Royale. All right, you're killing a guy with a club from a card. That was a great and, opener uh, too. Great opener. Yeah, I think it's a really great <laughs> opener as well. But yeah, those do have to be like. I feel like they got to do this like at the end of filming and it's just like, <laughs> yeah, sure. Whatever. <laughs> let's just, let's get it over with. Yeah. It, it is exquisitely well done though. And that's always one of my favorite elements of bond because a ton of work goes in those sequences. And also like it's a remnant of the sixties that bond has decided to keep, which is lovely because like the reason that existed was not stylistically because it was bond. It was because all the movies had the credits stylistically at the front and Oh yeah. It, to maintain back in the, that 50 years yeah, is they, awesome. They didn't have these opening, elaborate opening sequences for a long time either. It would just be, here's the song and here's the credits. Right. Like there might be like a girl dancing kind of there off to the all, side. Always a girl. There's always, always a girl. A girl. Yeah. There's always a girl. There's always a gun. Yep. Uh, speaking of which, this is, I thought, oh, an interesting a Bond movie title. <laughs> Bond, there's always a girl. And then follow <laughs> up, there's always a gun. Right. Um, now, the women in this movie, I, I, this isn't in our docket, but I'd love to briefly touch on it. This has the most uncomfortable James Bond sex scene for me, and he's had lots of weird sex scenes. Yeah. But where he just opens well, up the shower the door. But it's, it's, it's a it little is, presumptuous. Yeah. It's a little it's presumptuous. Uh, he yeah, but just, then she sees those baby blues and... <laughs> But she doesn't. He like comes in behind her and like starts sniffing her neck. And I'm like, yeah. So you're talking about boat? him go- coming into the shower on the boat, right? Oh, yeah. oh yes. Every, I'm talking about yeah. him just st- like hopping on this boat, waiting until it's yeah. casted off, stripping nude, and then getting in the shower with her. 
Yeah, no, what, what, <clears throat> excuse me a second. <clears throat> no, what makes it super squicky for me is that he's already established that she used to be in the sex trade yeah. in Macau and that she hitched on to Silva to get out. And so he knows that she's had to use her body to, to, try to advance herself or to get protection or to get away from a bad situation. And the first thing he does when he gets on the boat is he goes in and has sex with her. And there's definitely this sort of element of, you know, she may be viewing this as an exchange or this is the only way I can show my gratitude that you're going to kill my crazy boyfriend for me. And it's creepy. It's, it's icky. And I don't like it, and it makes me sad. <laughs> There's a lot of creepy, icky James Bond sex over the last 50 years. Yeah. This is up there. Um, Bond has never been a feminist. No, you know? no. He's a, he's, a, he's a functioning alcoholic misogynist. Um, yeah, but they were, they were taking it in a slightly better direction, I thought, for a while. Yeah. And now, um, like, eh, don't yeah, like it. it. It's weird. But I will say, I think she's one of the more interesting Bond girls in the sense that she's not just eye candy, for lack of a better word, which is how they've always been treated in many ways. She has, like, you know, a you know sex trade tragic, tragic arc that ends horribly. Like, how often yeah. does the Bond girl just get murdered halfway through the movie cold-heartedly, followed by Bond being like, eh, shoulder shrug it emoji? Goldfinger. <laughs> yeah, but then they, like, yeah. painted her body and stuff. Like, like they made it, like, the, the set piece of the film, not just, like, left her dead on the ground in, you know, the middle of an abandoned town. Yeah, it was, a, it was a less ignominious ending, certainly. But, I mean, you know, Severine was the, the, the bad girl, Bond girl. In this right. movie, there's always a good girl and a bad girl, and then maybe an extra girl or two off to the side. Somewhere. Who's the good girl? Money Penny. Yeah. Okay. Though I though no. I do appreciate he didn't he. It doesn't seem like he went to home base with Money Penny, which I think should never happen. I think that uh, needs to just. You don't think so? Yeah, I, I think, think they yeah. did. I just think they don't say it explicitly. Well, okay, the, okay, but they don't. They don't ever really even hint at it either. I mean, there's yes, some. They do. There's some, you know, flirtation, but I no, think he does start undoing her bra for to be fair. Eh, her, it's um, her blouse, you know. But yeah, I will but, say, I, but in the casino, they're bantering as they're entering the casino and casing I love it. That part. He said something like, "Old dog, new tricks, remember?" And she says, "You're telling me." <laughs> oh, I did catch that line this time. Oh, I will yeah. say, I'm I'm glad that we have moved away from uh, some of the Bond. Girl names, yes. Not always. I guess Strawberry Fields was still in Quantum of Solace, but let's just remember. Say her first name is Strawberry. Anyway, Strawberry Fields in the movie. (laughs) Uh, But you know, you have such great names like Pussy Galore, (gasps) Honey Rider, Octo Pussy is literally that woman's name. Zinnia on a top. Yeah. It's just, ooh, guys, what were we? Let's not forget that Denise, Denise Richards' character was Christmas Jones. Doctor oh, Christmas Jones. Doctor Christmas Jones. <laughs> oh my God, I forgot about her. I, which one is she, which Brosnan is she in? 
Uh, that is the world is not enough. Oh no! Isn't that also the um, the Halle Berry one? No, Halle no. Berry is Die Another Day with Rosamund Pike. Okay, I gotcha. And then oh, I think yeah, the world is not enough is also Michelle Yeoh. No, Michelle Yeoh is the one is Tomorrow Never Dies. Okay. Getting them all mixed Goodness. up. This is what we've broken down into. All right. Who did Bond boink in this All right. Movie? <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's, there's so much more to talk about with this movie, though. Yeah, That's so let's, true. let's break back down and let's talk about... Uh, this is the highest grossing Bond ever. It eclipsed a billion worldwide, even adjusting for inflation. We're looking at Thunderball and Goldfinger following, and then actually Spectre. So, uh, Craig... One thing I found interesting was all of Craig's films are in the top 10 highest grossing, um, and more so my personal favorite Bond, um, Pierce Brosnan. And I let's be I get it. Like, his last two movies are bad. I'm not vouching for those. The first two are great. I love them. He's not even in the top 10 in, in, at all, period. Um, his, none of his movies made the top 10. Um, but me, they've always been incredibly financially successful. The lowest film is um, The Living Daylights, I believe. Uh, and that made $230 million on a $40 million budget. So uh, they've always been financially successful, but this movie blew people away. And actually, Spectre was expected to perform even better, but did not. Yeah. I I will say this real quick about, um, you know, Pierce Brosnan, they kind of fell on that hole of gadgets and not the gadgets getting too weird. Yeah. Uh, I think that, that has had a recovery in the Mission Impossible series where that movie is, I mean, those movies are so much fun, but quintessential to those films is how weird can the gadgets get? And I think it's just so funny that, uh, yeah, that we have now that Bond has become the super serious thing and the Mission Impossible movies, which tried to be a really serious spy drama in the beginning is now like, Hey, Tom Cruise is going to climb the outside of this building with Spider-Man gloves. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just a beautiful thing. Speaking of which, though, I'm glad you brought up Mission Impossible because I did want to talk about Mission Impossible. Uh, I don't even... This movie's so good, I don't even care that it's just knocking off the first Mission Impossible's plot points. Uh, it's the knockoffs yeah, it all over the, again. The list. Yeah, Mission Impossible 1 is searching for the knock list, and this movie is... Um, and actually, I believe the knock list has slowly trickled out as well in that movie um, as, you know, bait. Well, now I can never watch Skyfall again. Thanks, Brett. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I love the first Mission Impossible, but um, I don't even care if that was... Re- and that's also a trope in, among spy films, isn't it? You don't want all the other spies to get revealed. Um, yeah, yeah, but it's just as much character development with, uh, you know, Ethan Hunt's background and... It's true, but have you seen Henry Cavill in this new one? My God. Not yet. We'll that see. mustache. I am so <laughs> looking forward to it. I, the, they're, and David Pinter. Vitally right, important really mustache. Fun. Yeah. Uh, and Simon Pegg anyway. in those movies. Highly refreshing. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Back to the these way, Bond films. Yes. yes. I, I, yeah, so the, this being the highest grossing of the Bond films. I feel like, you know, it was such, it, this is going to be kind of one of those bond movies that it's going to be kind of hard to explain like this was kind of a in a way a cultural phenomenon when it came out like this is like bond is great again yeah uh, and it's i think it's going to you know i'll i'll shoot i'll kind of give it to you here at least within the realm of bond movies it will for sure be a classic it'll be one of the top bond movies that people will talk about 
Absolutely. Yeah, there certainly yeah. was an element of this is a return to form, right? And we've talked about that throughout this whole show. Uh, absolutely. And I also want to talk a little bit about uh, Komodo dragons. <laughs> David yeah. put this in our docket. Is the Komodo dragon the best bond improvised weapon? Well, yes. it's not like he it's picked it up by its tail and swung it. He just <laughs> oh, I, that's the movie I want. <laughs> the, the Komodo dragon just happened to be there, and he distracted the guy long enough for it to grab onto his leg. Yeah, so. I just I love it so much that that was a danger in a casino fight was a pit yep. with a Komodo dragon in it. Two Komodo dragons. <laughs> oh, so good. So. And that guy's dead. Like, you don't come back from that. No, he, he would have been dead even if it hadn't dragged him off. Komodo dragon bites are oh, yes. highly toxic. No, yeah. That's what I mean. Like, that guy didn't really have much of a chance. No. But that, like, and it's funny because this is, like, still a pretty serious film. But the way that I describe that is they fought over a pit of Komodo dragons. <laughs> Sounds like a Connery-era Bond film thing. Yes. Yeah, and the gun that only James Bond can fire because it's coded to his palm print, whatever that means. That's been in several like spy movies. I've it seen has, that. Yes, movie. it has. Yeah. So, uh, um, I was but, thinking about your question, David. Though, as to w- is this the best improvised Bond weapon? And I could think about a couple. Um, on Her Majesty's Secret Service, which is um, the only Bond film to be with one Bond, uh, I mean, as in, like, he only ever played it once, George Lazenby, um, he starts slapping people with his watch in that movie. Um, <laughs> if you've never seen that one, he uses his Rolex as a weapon. Um, uh, that movie doesn't count as a Bond film because it's a masterpiece. <laughs> it's too good. Uh, there's also... I was looking this up online to find more, and I don't have the context to this, but I'm going to put it in our show notes. There's just this photo, I presume of, I put it in our Slack just now, Roger Moore in a bathrobe holding a cigar while using what seems to be a canister of flamethrower, um, which is indeed from a Bond movie. (laughs) Just his face that he's making in that picture. It's so Roger Moore. It's amazing that he was 59 when this picture was taken. spray can and his cigar to light an improvised flamethrower. I love it. Oh, my gosh. And he had to get rid of something poisonous, a spider or a snake or something like that. Yeah, well, that's a pretty good one. But, yeah, no, you're right. I think the... uh, I think that uh, it's a pretty good Bond improvised weapon. And then let's talk about a couple other brief things before we close out the show. We are running a tad yes. bit long. Um, but I do want to talk about some things. It's in a Nicole. long movie. Yeah. Nicole just added these to our docket. Um, the Glass Room in Shanghai. Oh, my God. The cinematography, right? Um, yeah. That's another set, actually. Really? Uh, Sam Mendes said that was that was actually the most dangerous set they had because people It's all glass. Into the panel. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, that is... Can you imagine the photography challenge involved? And not letting the cameras be seen? And not letting the cameras be seen in any of the reflections, in shooting things so that you can see what you want to see. I mean, there's this absolutely gorgeous shot where Bond and um, 
uh, Patrice are fighting in silhouette in front of like this giant LED, you know, billboard that's outside behind them that keeps there's like a jellyfish swimming up a bright blue field. So it's all it's all reflections and glass and black and then these pops of bright color and it's utterly gorgeous. Yeah. There's a little uh, master. This is not a exquisitely filmed scene, but it does remind me a tad of the ending of the man, the man with the golden gun in the sense that they are fighting in a very vibrant, colorful, um, you know, abstract environment. Um, The man with the golden gun ends in a fun house. Um, And also one of my favorite scenes in this movie is when they set up mirrors in the opening uh, doorway to Skyfall. So when oh, bad guys right, right. rush in, they see um, they see the, the, the game master in a different spot than where he really is. And like that, that's great cinematography too. It's really well shot. Um, that's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. And it's also um, where we're introduced, I think, to my next favorite cinematography scene, which is Bond arriving on the raft into the uh, casino like floating casino land. Oh yeah. Fireworks are going off in the background. Also a set. Wow. <laughs> That's incredible. Cuz Bond has historically fil- been filmed largely on location, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean they did second unit stuff out in out in Macau, right. but um the the casino entry, they built the dragon heads out on one of their shallower tanks at Pinewood and then they added they digitally added the casino in behind it. And then the interior of the casino was all built in pine wood. Oh, that's fascinating. Neat. Very cool. So yeah. now let's, we have two more discussion topics here, and then we'll close it out. Let's talk about that scene with Silva and his flirty exchange with Bond. David already gave us his take on it. I'd be curious for Nicole's Nicole wanted to wrap back around to this, and you threw it in our docket here because you really wanted to make sure I didn't miss it. So I want to go yes. back to you, Nicole. Let's talk about yes. um, Javier Bardem feeling up Daniel Craig. <laughs> Well, I mean, number one, it's a hell of an entrance. You know, he takes this elevator down and as he's walking toward Bond, he's telling this long and involved story about how you get rid of rats on an island. And, um, you know, at at the end, you're left with two rats who have no longer eat coconut. They only eat rat. So um, and that that's what he and Bond are, are the last two rats. Um mm. So he sees them as as uh, comrades of sorts, I think. Um, but I mean, this the scene where he's talking to Bond and he's like, he starts like touching his, he, he opens his shirt to look at the shoulder wound and then he just sort of trails his fingertip along his collarbones back and forth. And, I, and I'm just writing fan fiction in the corner the whole time. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, the fact that, you know, Bond doesn't, I think the old, the old Bond would have found a way to like break free of his chair at just that moment or like spit on the guy or headbutt him or do something macho to drive him away and prove his masculinity. Um, But I love that. You know, this Bond, Daniel Craig, just sits there and just kind of smiles at him. And he just yeah. holds, his, holds his look. And when he says, you know, um, something about for the, 
that Silva says, oh gosh, now as the last two rats, what should we do? We could eat each other. And then he looks, he pauses, looks down, looks up at Bond's face and just gives this tiny little smile and waggles his head. And then he goes on. He's like, or (laughs) (laughs) this other thing. And then he's, I can't remember what the line is where it leads up to saying something for the first time. And Bond looks at him and says, what makes you think it's my first time? Ah, uh, yeah. And there's also oh. the line um, where he's he's like caressing the scar on the bullet wound. And he says, oh, see yeah. what she's done to you? And then James Bond says, well, she never tied me to a chair. And then he just says, her loss. And like keeps like trailing his little <laughs> yeah. hands down the chest. Um, yep. <laughs> I, you know, I, I mean, think you captured, Nicole, perfectly that this is a breakaway from Bond needing to be incredibly testosterone-filled masculinity, right? Um, that's, yeah, I mean, yeah, I didn't, Bond I didn't is... about it that way. The, the, I mean, they break with this with this movie to show how shaken Bond is by, like, his near-death experience and what the job has been doing to him. But one of the main characteristics that Daniel Craig has brought to Bond is this unshakable confidence in his ability mm-hmm. to get the job done. And Bond is, you know, nearly always in control. And he's in control here, you know. But Silva thinks that he can rattle him. But Bond is is playing it cool. And he's just like, you know, I'm just going to roll with it and see how this goes. You but know, the only say- time Bond cracks is when Silva un- finally undoes his cuffs. And you see his face actually get angry for just like half a second right as he's getting up though i will say as as great as i think this exchange is it has what is the most contrived frustrating line of the entire movie which is when james bond says everybody needs a hobby and then silva asks him so what's yours and bond stares him dead in the face and says resurrection which they used in the trailer and it's a horrible line it's terrible (laughs) oh my god (laughs) Oh uh, uh, yeah, I can let it go. There's been no, far worse in many Bond films. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. So let's, uh, as we begin the wrap down here, I think our final discussion question is going to be: before we ask if it's a future classic, is this Craig's defining Bond film? This is from David. I think it is. I, I think you could make an argument for Casino Royale or yeah. this, but I think with. Within the, the the pantheon of Bond films, this is the most Bondy of the Daniel Craig, while still feeling fresh and you know very original. So I think in that regard, I mean I love Casino Royale. It's hard f- I, for me to kind of pin those two against one another, but I would say this is more a James Bond film. And more the one people will be like, that is the Daniel Craig Bond film that we all love. Uh, hmm. Sure as hell won't be That's, Quantum of Solace. No, it won't. But <laughs> I, I have a, I mean, certainly this in Casino Royale have the most character development that Bond has ever had. You know, you learn more about who he is, really. Though, and it's not just the, the veneer the whole time to points of this movie uh it does not have somebody telling james bond 
that if all that was left of him was his smile and his pinky, there would be more of a man left there than any other man in the world. Well, I remember what? that. That that's is something like his, that. Um, his fiance, that, wife, that's girlfriend what Vesper figure. says to him at one point during his recovery in the last half hour of that movie that goes on that, forever. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> I forgot that part. Oh, I mean, I man. I love the heck out of Casino Royale, but it's like that. I always seem to blot out most of the last half. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there's also scenes uh, of Casino Royale beyond even beyond even the opening scene that I discussed earlier in the bathroom. There's the ball whipping scene, and that's unlike anything that had been in Bond. Like that that well, was the defining sure. shift. Oh my god. <laughs> Mad Mickelson. No, he's never damaged G- the goods before. <laughs> yeah, that was rough. That is still rough to watch. And having Mads, M- Mads Mickelson was a great bad guy, too. Um, but yeah, it's tough to bring them together. It's tough to pit them against each other. Yeah, th- this one, this one, I think, has a, the better villain. Yes, I agree. Out of it, as well as, you know, the most character development. It introduces a lot of new actors to the franchise very smoothly. Um, and I mean, you know, Naomi Harris does a fantastic job as Eve, who you only find out at the very end is Eve Moneypenny. Um, and she, you know, she's always. Mm, always on point, you know, she she keeps it together even when she's badly shaken because she's accidentally killed the best agent that MI6 has ever had. Um but she, you know, she is super. I love that how she's super confident at, you know, driving that Land Rover all over Istanbul, and you know, backing Bond up in the casino. And she gives as good as she gets in terms of the banter. So I mean, I I love her as a character, and I hope they do a little bit more with her than leaving her as a a glorified secretary. It seems like they will, right? Like, it seems like Money Penny is more involved in this iteration of Bond. Though, frankly, it's been a while since I saw Spectre, and I can't really remember what her role is in that movie. I know. That, I mean, they also have, you know, an M that isn't just behind the desk being like, well, Bond, here is your here is your assignment, and uh, jolly good, jolly good. <laughs> Try not to kill too many innocent people this time, please, Bond. <laughs> Going to, if you're going to sleep with the president's wife, just uh, make sure you get out before the guards get there. Jolly good. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I'm, I am so excited that Ray Fiennes is that person moving forward. <laughs> like he is a perfect, uh, you know, successor. Yeah, I hope he stays in the role. Dench. Me too. I love Ray Fiennes. You know, listening back to our Grand Budapest Hotel episode, mm, love me some Ray Fiennes. So let's let's close out this episode. Is this a future classic? Why or why not? I've made my argument for why it is. Uh, I'll hand it off to the panel. Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, as I said earlier, I think with at least within the purview of James Bond films, it absolutely is. Um, but I think in general, it is a smart action film that uh, is just a delight in so many ways visually. Most of them, Daniel Craig. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can't, I can't argue with any of that. <laughs> you know, to light just part, because of Daniel Craig and you know Roger Deakins' cinematography, which is stunning, and I think it's 
very well written. It's, you know, the action scenes are very smart and it's got, you know, interesting characters and one of the most fascinating villains they've ever had. And um, yeah, I think it absolutely deserves a status as future classic. Right on. So, very good. Good pick, Brett. Thank you. Though I will say we never talked about the new Q in this movie, uh, Ben Ben Wishaw. Oh, was poor Ben Wishaw. Wishaw, yeah. haired British fellow. Uh, I, he was once chopped around as a as a favorite for uh, doc, Doctor, for the Doctor, which I think would have been perhaps a little bit too similar. Oh. It would have been almost a hybrid between Tenet Matt and, Smith. Um, and Matt Smith. Uh, yeah. But he's great as, as Q, um, even though I do miss me some John Cleese. Uh, well, that's going to do it uh, for myself, David, and Nicole. David, where can people find you online? Uh, Heck Yeah Comics Podcast, the Brokeback Mountain Podcast, and around the internet under the username Davluz, that is D-A-V-L-U-Z. Right on. And Nicole, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter under at your word whiz. That's Y-O-U-R-W-O-R-D-W-H-I-Z. You can find me on Letterboxd at Nicole underscore Davis. I am writing reviews now i don't have them posted yet but they're they are in process i have several done um and i shepherd our facebook page that's facebook.com slash movie go round podcast and you can interact with us there ask any questions you want make any comments you want i will be happy to respond asap Right on. You can find me on Twitter at Rivers Rubin and at BrettDavidStewart.com. You can also connect with the show on Twitter. That's at MovieGoRoundPod. And if you like the show, please feel free to leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcast. That really helps grow the audience. And we're noticing that it is growing at a rate we're really excited about. So please be sure to share it with your friends and family and connect with it on iTunes, Stitcher, all those wonderful places. Next week, we are going to be watching The Raid for Around the World world again that is the raid the full title of which is what the is raid again, redemption the raid redemption Woo! looks like it's on stars but you can also rent it so it should, by the way sorry everybody skyfall was a skyfall was a buy only movie i did that to the panel without realizing it but you know what no, i already own it worth the money buy buy the raid you will not regret it all right i'm really yeah, excited to watch it never regret buying the raid well, we will be, and I can finally understand what people were talking about with The Force Awakens. So, oh, yeah. 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 Strap in, man. <laughs> All right, everybody. We'll see you next week. 